0: Morning. Morning. Let me uh, invite you just to draw your conversations to a close. Good to see you this morning. It's great to be together, just like it always is. I think I know most people in the room, but just in case. My name's Richard, as Carlos said. I'm one of the leaders here. Uh, It's great to be together. Uh, This morning, we are in the book of Acts. We're in Acts 19. Um, We are in the middle of a preaching series called Spirit Empowered Mission. And the purpose of the series is to kind of jolt us awake to the possibilities for strengthening the church and reaching the lost through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see happening through the book of Acts. We're going to see it again this morning, and uh, it's as good today as it was then. So two weeks ago, if you were here, Paul was in Athens. We're following Paul's kind of journey through uh, Asia Minor. Last week, he was in Corinth. This week, I'm taking us to the Turkish city of of Ephesus. Ooh, oh, that, yeah, exactly. What could be more exciting than that? <laughs> Sometimes uh, one of the accusations levelled at Christianity is that uh, the Bible's a bit boring, it's dusty, it's perhaps not as relevant for today. I, I really hope that as we've preached through this series, as, we look, as we've looked at the book of Acts, that you've seen that that's just not true at all. It's, it's alive with great narrative. Uh, It's full of stories of incredible courage and miracles and cities being turned upside down and the explosive growth of Christianity. We'll see that a bit more this morning. But we're looking at Acts 19, as I said, and we're looking at three incidents in this very thin slice of Ephesian history. We're going to read and discuss it in three parts. We've got the story of 12 men who get an upgrade on their baptism. We've got a story of seven blokes who get beaten up by a demon, and then we've got a story of a goddess who gets knocked off her perch, and a city-wide riot breaks out. Hold on to your hats. Right, so we're going to read together from Acts 19. Uh, if you want to use one of these church Bibles, page 1115, Acts 19, You're going to just read the first seven verses first of all. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So what's going on here? We've got um, John the Baptist, who the story's talking about, who traveled the region preaching that the Messiah would come. And John's central application to people was this. Repent. Essentially what this means is change your heart attitude, remove remove all the idolatry and disbelief and muck that you're believing, remove all the sin from your life, everything that separates you from a holy God in order to prepare your heart to receive and exalt the one who is coming, Jesus. John preached that Christ was coming. John himself was a forerunner of Jesus and he made it his primary importance to prepare people for his arrival. That's a bit like how we should be. That's a great life story. It's a great testimony. Everything John preached, the whole Old Testament, all of history points to this. Jesus is coming, and he will take away the sins of the world, and he will restore fallen mankind to a place of relationship with God. Here's a summary of John's central lifelong ministry message. This is from Mark 1, verse 7. John said, After me, comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Put all of this together. Get ready. The Savior's coming. The Son of Man, and he's so much more than anything you've seen. I baptize you in water for the cleansing of your sins, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And that is going to change everything. Because being baptized and experiencing the Holy Spirit does change everything. For reasons we'll see as we work through this passage. Now, what's going on with these 12 Ephesian disciples? They are 12 men who would have known something about the coming Christ, since that, who, that was who John preached about, but it's doubtful whether they would have known anything of the depth and meaning of his life and death and resurrection. They believed John's message, they believed that a greater one would come, but they were baptized kind of up to the limit of that understanding. And so that is to say they hadn't yet experienced and evidenced the power of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, since they they knew nothing of him. And Paul, I guess, would have sort of detected this in some way through what they did or said. And we can see here, when he asks about it, you, you might imagine the conversation going a bit like this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Ah, okay. Well, there is. And this is what John preached about. Remember, he said a greater one was coming. Well, this is what it's all about. Let me tell you about it, and let me tell you about Jesus and how he fulfills every prophecy that John spoke about, about how he fulfills every single prophecy of the coming Messiah in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And then let's get you baptized into Jesus so that you might also receive the Holy Spirit. So he lays hands on them, prays, and then something happens. Power happens. Having previously been baptized in water, now they are filled with the Holy Spirit precisely because they receive Jesus. And this is super important. These guys then demonstrate what is normal and to be expected for those of us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. That there is a demonstrable, powerful, overwhelming change that creates a demonstrable, powerful response. In this case, it's an outward response, and they speak in tongues, which is another way of saying they speak in an angelic language, and then they prophesy, uh, which means they reveal God and His will to each other. You can just imagine, they're probably calling out, "The Father loves us." This is what He wants for your life. We have work to do. We must tell people about this Jesus. Where can we start? It's a beautifully missional moment. They accept Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. And their first response is to praise with an overwhelming and overflowing passion and tell each other about God. They prophesy. That's what happens when you follow Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. Why? The Nicene Creed, which is a commonly used statement of Christian beliefs, says this about the Holy Spirit. He is the Lord, the giver of life. Let me say that again. Who is the Holy Spirit And what does he do? He is the Lord, and he gives life. It was the Holy Spirit that hovered over the earth right at the beginning and breathed life into it. It's the Holy Spirit that breathed life back into Jesus and raised him from the dead. And it's the same Holy Spirit that gives life to us. In and of ourselves, we don't have life other than what the life giver provides it's right here in Romans 8 11. It says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is alive, is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Our hearts are they're designed to achieve what they want. Winning over your heart is a, is a tough battle. The Bible says that the heart is deceptive above all things. Why would you naturally want to come to one who was crucified on a rugged piece of wood and surrender everything to him? We naturally want to find happiness and self-satisfaction and to ensure that we are the Lord of our own lives. And so we fill our lives with people and things that satisfy and please us and validate us and enthrone us. Accepting one who promises to save you but requires you to deny everything and recognize his lordship over your life just isn't the natural human disposition. The only way we can receive this life, spiritual life, with all its benefits, is to receive it from the life giver. Martin Luther said, by my own reason or strength, I can't believe in Jesus or come to him. I can't do it. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. When we say there's power in the gospel, it's, bes- it's precisely because it's the breathed out power of God. It's alive. Amen. If you've received Jesus today, it's because in some measure the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life. And he's breathed life into you. Listen to this beautiful verse in Romans eight fifteen. The spirit you received, the spirit you received, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We can cry out, Father God, explicitly because God has given himself to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. What's happened there? God has given himself to us. I should really just end there. Think about that. Meditate on that when you get home today. God has given himself to us. That's why Paul asks these 12 Ephesians about who they've received, because without accepting Christ, you haven't accepted the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't accepted the Holy Spirit, you haven't accepted Christ. Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. And so we need to receive Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit and we need to operate out of his supply of power to us, like these 12 Ephesian men, and we need to keep getting filled. Through the Holy Spirit, God has given himself to us, and he causes us to mature in him, and to become more like him. He hasn't Handed out the Holy Spirit like some pocket money or some kind of new customer incentive. Sign up to Jesus today and receive the free gift of prophecy before moving on to the next sales lead. That's not how it works. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I don't say that when I was 24 I received the pocket money of grace. No, when I was 24, God through his Holy Spirit gave himself to me. It was the personal, loving kindness of God that gave me and gave you salvation, filled me with His Spirit, and caused me to cry out, Father, because He gave Himself to me. It's remarkable. The question that Paul asks is is still valid today Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Michael Reeves says that to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is like the oxygen of the new life that we have in Christ. It's the oxygen of the new life that we have in Christ. When my youngest daughter was born, she was born not breathing, and there were paramedics running around and doctors, and uh, we were praying for her, and it was chaotic until she <gasps> gasped her first breath and came to life. And she's a beautiful, strong young girl now. She breathed the oxygen of new life. She breathed the oxygen of life. The Holy Spirit is the oxygen of the new life that we have in Christ. The Spirit first ignites us, with life by turning our hearts and our desires towards christ and then he continues to ignite us and that's because the holy spirit delights in the father and the son and because we have his life we too are continually having our hearts ignited set ablaze to the father and the son too he stays to keep the fire stoked is that how it is for you As I'm speaking today, there should be a a sort of a self-diagnostic going on for you. Let me ask you the question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? If it doesn't feel like the fire is stoked, get filled again. We've seen the dramatic transformation of these 12 men in the story. As my uh, good friend John Hosier says, receiving the Holy Spirit is more than just a warm, tingly feeling. It's more than that. There is a demonstrable, powerful outworking in the life of the person for whom the Spirit comes. For these guys, it was speaking in tongues and prophesying. And for you, it may be something different because there's one Spirit, but He gives many different gifts. It may be that you've received an overwhelming ability to tell people about God, or see people healed, or to sustain irrepressible faith against all the odds. I was at uh, Brian King's funeral last week and Tony Christopher's funeral some weeks before. And uh, I had the privilege of um, seeing those guys um, just in the last hours of their lives. And as they lay in their deathbed, sometimes in pain, sometimes unable to move or breathe, they were able to say to me, Jesus is Lord. How did they do that? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's demonstrable. It's experiential. And his purpose is to reveal something of God's love and to build up the church. Man alive was I built up those days. He comes to live in us. He gives us faith to believe. He draws us close to him. He comforts us by showing us that what Christ has done actually matters. He strengthens us in power. He gives us gifts. And he does so to strengthen our witness to the world through the voice of the church that the Holy Spirit lives inside us, changes what mission to the world looks like. As I said earlier, God hasn't kind of dropped off the free gift of grace at our house via parcel force. It's not lounging back in heaven now, kind of just waiting to phone in his order for evangelism. What all of this means for us is that God is already on mission. In you, in the world, in love. This is what happened in Ephesus that day. The father has sent his son and his spirit. The father so enjoyed loving Jesus that he sent him to bring back sinners like us, like these 12 men in Ephesus, as children like us, to also enjoy that same love. Think about that. We're caught up in this kind of cosmic love triangle. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. He sends a spirit, captures us, brings us back into that love relationship. It's good news. And you're invited. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? If you haven't yet believed, then all this is on offer to you today. For those of us who belong to Christ and to the church, we read in Ephesians 5.18 that we are to keep on being filled with the Spirit. You can pray with someone today to be filled with the Spirit and to keep on being filled with the Spirit. And ask for gifts, gifts of prophecy or of healing or of tongues or of faith and so on. And as we do so, the gospel should break out of these walls like dynamite, since the Holy Spirit is like dynamite. People should come to repentance and belief. Churches should get planted. Disciples should get made. And our town and our nation and the nations should be turned upside down for the sake of Jesus. Just like what happens in Ephesus later in this story. If we want to see revival in our time, when the church rises up and the message of Jesus is heard and accepted throughout the nation and the lost come flocking to hear our message and to meet our saviour, then this is a non-negotiable for us. We must be filled with the Spirit. We must keep on being filled with the Spirit. We need the Spirit to fill our lives and fill the church in every season and through every generation. Believe. Receive. Be filled. Keep on being filled. Let's read the next part of the story. Back on page 1115 if you want to follow. We're going to read from verse 11 this time. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Happy Christmas. (laughs) When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, The total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the way of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Ephesus was a a really spiritual city. The crafting of idols, as we'll see in just a moment, was, was big business, and the text says that Paul was performing many miracles in Ephesus, healing people, driving out evil spirits, and so on. Now, what is often seen when God's power is on display is that people try to compete with it in some way. We see this in Scripture. Pharaoh tries to compete with God, and he declares himself a God. That didn't work out well for him. In the Garden of Eden, Satan himself presents himself as having kind of godlike authority and insight, and he distorts what God actually says. We've heard stories in this very preaching series of people who've tried to buy the power of God. We see this nowadays with horoscopes and tarot cards and Ouija boards and anything else that tries to rival the omniscience and power of Almighty God. And so as history might predict, there arose competitors to Paul's ministry in Ephesus. People sort of steeped in spirituality who had witnessed Paul's ministry and were engaged in some kind of deliverance ministry across the city. Uh, They obviously had little idea what they were getting involved in, but when they saw and heard Paul calling on the name of Jesus and expelling demons from people's lives, they must have thought, well, if I start using that name, perhaps I'll be as successful as Paul. Now, Sceva was a Jewish priest, and he had seven sons who seemed to have been involved in doing this. And then, as the story says, one day, the evil spirit they were trying to cast out turns to them and says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? That's a striking thing for a demon to say. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read that the demons know the name of Jesus and his power. That seems obvious. But that they knew the name of Paul is what's interesting here. When we are engaged in the pursuit of the growth of God's kingdom, we are obviously recognized, not just by angels and by Jesus, whose power we call upon, but by demons as well. But because Paul was operating from a place of being rooted in Christ and having Christ in him, he was simultaneously able to attack the structures of darkness and be completely protected and defended from them by Jesus. Now, what can we learn from this? In verse 11, it says that God did extraordinary miracles of healing through Paul. Healing is something God wants to do, it's extraordinary. Not everyone is healed. But it's described here and elsewhere as something God does through his followers. So we should persevere in praying for it. I've prayed for literally hundreds of people in my life, and Jesus hasn't healed all of them, but he has healed some. And so I'll continue to pray in faith. And I can do that in faith, knowing that even if God doesn't heal our fleeting ailments this morning, he has still healed and removed the permanent curse of death in my life. It's a far greater prize. And so we should pray for people to be healed and to come to know Jesus. Number two, the demons recognize Paul. This means that they recognize Jesus and those who walk with him. And that's not surprising since it's them we're pushing back with the authority of Christ. That's what our Oasis team do when they go into the women's refuge. It's what we do every time we tell someone about Jesus. It's what we do every time another person is baptized, healing Miracles, driving out demons. It's not a formula or a program. It's not found in the common book of prayer under D for dealing with demons. It comes from a living relationship with Jesus. Jesus, who, is, who authorized and covered Paul's ministry and ours since they walked in relationship together in a way that the seven sons of Sceva didn't. Jesus tells a story in Mark 9 about a boy who uh, had a, an evil spirit and the disciples couldn't deliver him. And he says, this kind of demon can only come out through prayer and fasting. Why? Because prayer and fasting are about relationship. It's about coming to him. That's why we gather as a church at times to pray. And it's why sometimes we fast. Those things are part petition, calling on God. They're part self-denial. But it's 100% about relationship with God. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? the seven sons of Sceva weren't wrong to call on the name of Jesus. They were wrong in trying to reproduce godly results without real relationship. And so so would we be. A few weeks ago, my uh, family and I were on a flight back from Ethiopia to Heathrow, and um, about halfway through the flight, the plane hit an air pocket, and it just dropped. And... uh, I don't know how far, but um, when you're in a plane that suddenly starts to fall from the sky, the only difference to your heart rate, whether it falls two feet or 20,000 feet, is a question of whether it misses the ground or not. (laughs) And so this plane just hits his air pocket, drops, and air hostesses start running around, and people are screaming, and I hear the name of Jesus being invoked somewhere in the plane. Someone's going, save me, Jesus! And I'm going, whoa, maybe this is how it ends. (laughs) So we kind of steady ourselves. And I look at Vicki, and she looks at me, and she kind of goes, I think we're okay. And then the plane drops again. And again, air hostesses are running around. People are screaming. And the guy right behind me goes, Jesus, save me! Now, I don't know if he had or the rest of the passengers had a real relationship with Jesus or they were just kind of throwing up a token Hail Mary pass. But I do know that the only way that we can be saved is to know and be known by Jesus. Relationship with Jesus is what matters. It's not enough to fling out his name when all other options fail. Look at how the story, this is a section of the story ends. Those who invoke the name of Jesus irreverently and without right relationship end up naked and bleeding. There's a moral there if ever I've heard one. And such fear strikes this community that they all bring out their spell books and their scrolls and they burn them publicly. Now that's not necessarily striking until you realize that what was burned was about eight to ten million pounds worth of stuff can you start to anticipate the seismic changes that were taking place in Ephesus as the gospel breaks out can you start to dream about the seismic changes that can affect a city when the church rises up and the gospel is preached and the sick are healed all these spiritual structures and false gods and spell books in Ephesus up in smoke that's the destiny of anyone who clings to false hope after all these things that happened in Ephesus, it says, as a result of all these things, the gospel spreads and grows in power. What might that look like in Paul as we make it our business to push back darkness through the power of the gospel? Jesus has given us authority to speak the gospel into people's life and to push back darkness with his light through some of the work that the church does in this town, I can tell you stories of prostitutes coming to faith, abandoned orphans being adopted, abused women finding hope. Nowhere and nobody is beyond his reach. Jesus said he was the light of the world. How do you break the darkness? You just shine a light on it. The Holy Spirit has come to Ephesus. Things are getting hot. There's power in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit saves people, and he calls people to repentance and belief. He does that through us. We must go. We must speak. Will we call out a generation of idol worshippers? Will we stand up against illness and poverty and injustice? I mentioned earlier this series is called Spirit-Empowered Mission. That's why it's vital that we keep getting filled with the Spirit. Because by the power of spirit, we shine the light of Jesus over every faulty belief system, over every hopeless situation, over every lost soul, so that brokenness and unbelief and hopelessness is thrown onto the bonfire and lives are made new in Jesus. That's what he offers us today, and that's the kind of action he calls us to in our town. Let's read the uh, last story in this episode. This one's called The Riot in Ephesus. So from uh, verse 23 onwards. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. The way is Christianity. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in Rated Trades... And he said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Now, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty." When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another, Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Two hours! The city clerk quietened the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, while well, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, they can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with writing because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. Ephesus was, by any standards, a beautiful and wealthy city. Archaeological remains show marble homes with beautiful terraces and frescoes and mosaics. The open-air theatre that's talked about here could seat 25,000 people. The harbour was one of the most used in Europe. The Library of Celsus housed 12,000 scrolls. The aqueduct systems were amongst the most advanced in the world, providing for people and for industry alike. It was a big, attractive city. And the largest and most prominent building of them all was the Temple of Artemis. Now everyone who lived in or travelled through Ephesus would have known of the temple, and by default its goddess Artemis. She was the daughter of Zeus, the twin sister of Apollo, and one of the twelve Olympians. So to the Ancient worldview, she was a central figure of spirituality and culture and thought and philosophy, and importantly, of provision to her people. And so, naturally, Ephesus was full of silversmiths and other craftsmen who made a living creating images and statues of Artemis and selling them as their livelihood. So, homes would have been filled with her image. Enter Paul. Enter the gospel. Suddenly, Christianity is becoming less an obscure band of people, but was now becoming a major force to be reckoned with. Now, one of the key silversmiths, a man called Demetrius, gathers a crowd. Guys, this, Paul, this guy Paul has convinced people all over Asia that gods made by human hands aren't gods at all. And people are believing it. He's going to cause the loss of our livelihood. And even worse, he's going to knock our beloved Artemis off her perch. We need to do something about this. And so all the craftsmen and the idol makers drag Paul's travelling buddies into this huge 25,000-seater theatre, and they're there for two hours shouting "Great is Artemis!" As you read, some of them says, "Don't even know why they're there." It's chaos. It's literally a riot. And so the city clerk has to come and quiet the crowd and bring some order to the situation. And he essentially says, "These men are not blaspheming Artemis. They haven't spoken against her. They just preach their own message." And that's completely lawful. Now, you better go home before we all get charged with writing. The end. Now, let's look at a couple of things that stand out from this episode. There is power in the gospel. The gospel is alive. It's hot. It speaks to the heart. And it will either cause your eyes to be opened to the truth, or it will grate because it's the truth that's being denied. That's what happens here in Ephesus. And that's what should happen Every time we talk about Jesus, it should present people with a moment of decision. And it may cause a moment of spiritual awakening in people, or it may create a riot of revolt in their heart. But either way, it should create an effect. Much of our society today is like Demetrius. You can't preach that message. You can't say the only way is Jesus. But let's take some assurance in the integrity of what Jesus has said and done over the past 2,000 years. Where is Artemis now? The temple is a pile of ruins. The scrolls have all been burned. The figurines exist only in museum cases. But the spirit empowered mission goes on and on because the spirit empowered gospel goes on and on. There is still much, much work for all of us to do. But Jesus has said that he will build his church, and he is. He said he'd return for his people, and he will. Trust him in his word and trust the effectiveness of the gospel. The second thing we can see here is you can argue all the livelong day about culture and politics and religion and political correctness gone mad, and it's not wrong to engage with these things. In fact, as Christians, we should have an opinion on these things. Start of life ethics, end of life ethics, sexual ethics, the role of the church and state, but nothing is as effective as the gospel. Paul didn't stand up there and denounce Artemis in the story. He just preached the gospel. And a riot broke out. It's alive. It's effective. It's on the move. It's the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. When you speak these words, believe that Jesus is at work. We need to to draw this episode to a close here, but there are two things that you should be thinking about responding to next. If you don't know him yet, receive Jesus. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is nothing else you can do to find soul satisfaction and find your true purpose. You were designed, breathed into life by God for the purpose of being in relationship with Him. You are not alone. You are not hopeless. You were destined for relationship with Almighty God and His people forever. And number two, we need to be filled with the Spirit. And we need to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Get prayer for that today, and for this purpose. To rise up with the sound of the gospel all across our town, and the nation, and the nations. Trust the gospel. Jesus has given us an incredible story to tell. It contains the meaning of life and the answer to all of life's questions. And he's breathed life into it. And he's given us delegated authority to spread it. It's alive. It's what every human heart Is looking for whether they know it or not. Paul knew this, and he turned Ephesus upside down for the sake of Jesus. There are Demetriuses all over our nation peddling idols. The gospel knocked him and his goddess straight out the park. Who's gonna raise the sound of the gospel in our town and what might happen when we do? What one thing as we come to the end of 2018 are you gonna do in 2019 to raise the banner for Jesus? In our town. Through the Holy Spirit, God has given us gifts to do that. What's your gift and how will you use it? Let today be the day that the power of Jesus grabs you again, fills you again, and sends you again in great power. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you so much for the truth of what you have said in your word that you're building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Thank you that every single word in this Bible is God-breathed, inspired, and 100% true and trustworthy. And so Lord, help us today to build our lives on it. Help us today to take confidence that when we speak the gospel into our own lives, into the lives of the watching world, there is power. Something is happening, maybe even if it's imperceptible at the start. Something is happening because your word is alive, because you are alive. And Holy Spirit, I ask for us today, fall on us again fill us again. For those who've never received you, I pray today be that day, and I pray you would sprinkle and spread your gifts lavishly over us this morning. God, I pray there'd be prophecy in this place. I pray there'd be tongues. I pray there'd be healing here today. I pray there'd be salvation here today as people hear this message and know for the first time that what they've been looking for all their lives is King Jesus. Lord, be glorified. Amen.